Hello, everyone, and welcome to Geek Rant, episode 225. It's the future! Recorded January 31st, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show where we get our geek on. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the command line godfather, Neves, and Seth, the gooey kid, Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the craziness that is Geek Rant. And I would like to say hello to all of you fine folks listening to us this week. Welcome to Geek Rant. The funny thing is that sounds perfectly normal to me, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it just, man, I can't get out of it now. Um, it just, I opened my mouth and it came out. So so I grew up a redneck surrounded by rednecks. And uh, I didn't even know, even among rednecks, I was redneck. I, I was, um, I remember when I was like six years old, nah, older than that, maybe sixth grade. I was talking about something, uh, and, and it was, it was really large. And the way you say really large in redneck ease is that was a great big O dog. So I called it a great big O. And, uh, one of my, uh, classmates said, what? I said, great big O dog. A what big dog? <laughs> And so then I realized that even among geeks, I mean, among redneck, rednecks, I was even more redneck. So it was somewhere around there, 11, 12 years old, that I started gradually losing the accent. Um, and then in college, in earnest, when I took a voice and phonetics class and realized that uh, if I were going to have a professional career in speaking, I could not sound like my mom. So, <laughs> but when right. you when you dropped into it, Seth, it was like, oh, I'm back home. Ah, welcome to East Texas, y'all. <laughs> and when my mom is, uh, comes over, uh, the kids sometimes literally don't understand her. They have to ask her, what What was that? Um, because we've, and in fact, not only have we raised them to speak, you know, as non-dialectically as possible, but also uh, we, I actively make fun of them for, uh, for displaying their southern roots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I probably shouldn't do that, but uh, and I, it's important. No matter what you actually think, no matter how advanced we really are in this world, people judge you by the way you sound. And the universal American um, stereotype is that if you sound like a Southerner, you're dumb. It's just yep. a fact of life. That's yep, what everyone thinks. Southern and hick. And unfortunately, there is a large body of evidence to prove that those are almost <laughs> right. mutually inclusive uh, terms, but there is some distinction between Southern and Hick. You can be Southern without being a Hick, but I don't know if you can be a Hick if you're not Southern. So Right. And, and, hmm. and the fact that we have Mission Control and Tandy and Texas Instruments and uh, EDI, uh, th those things don't matter. Uh, Raytheon, uh, if you're in, from the South, you're an idiot. Wow. We really got off it's almost on that one. It's totally unfair, <laughs> but it's also totally true. Um, it's, yeah. it's one of the last few things where it's, uh, politically, uh, safe to, uh, to make a snap judgment. Is it really? Or would we get fired over it? Oh, no. You, it's, it's perfectly okay <laughs> to think somebody's dumb if they sound like they're from the South. It, it, it's it's okay. It's expected. If somebody comes at you with a South Boston accent, uh, then you have a certain you know you you immediately assume that they're unsophisticated and you know 
Jersey Shore trash, and that's not even the that's not even the right region. But uh, that's the that's the idea based on the way you speak. It's a uh, you know Goodwill Hunting territory, uh, right? People, we, humans are good at classifying things. We will we will make patterns and and put things in classifications, even if it doesn't belong there. But it makes us feel better. No, we're good at judging. We're not necessarily good at classifying. <laughs> so we can judge that person, but whether it's an accurate distinction, maybe, maybe not. That's a good point. As long as we feel good about it. And Seth, right. I want to say I feel good about you having finished the first of your 12 5K races in um, in 2016. Congra- congratulations, buddy. That's that's nice. Uh, you Good on you. Well, thank you. I was, um, yeah. you know. It's called the Hypnotic Donut Dash, and I was proud of myself. I did not stop for donut holes anywhere along the way, mainly because the line was too long and I didn't want to stop. But, you know, I I had some at the end, so that was cool. But my time was like about 45 minutes, and there was a mile marker at mile one. And I was like, okay. So I kept looking for mile two. I never saw mile two or mile three. I round this last little corner and there's the finish line. And so I was going to try to run further. I was going to run from three to the finish because I did walk, ran, walked, ran, walked, ran. But I was going to run from three to the finish. I could have done better. Could have done better, Howard. But, uh, so anyway, yeah, this is, it's, an, it's set a very, I guess, high bar that I can go under for the next race. Uh, probably like I could do that this week, but with another month of training, then I might can break 40. So my so, goal is to get better every time. Rather than going with the high jump metaphor, you went straight to the limbo metaphor. Metaphor. So that's great. Well, no, I want to lower the time. So see, I want to go from 45. <laughs> right. I want it to go lower. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, inspired by you, uh, he, he hasn't been here to tell you this, but he won't mind me telling you. Inspired by you, Aaron also ran the first of his 12 5Ks this year. Our former host, Aaron Butler. Um, yeah. So uh, he did the one I was act- I was actually considering joining you. Uh, I really was. It was the uh, the frozen five k um, here, uh, and it was, was seventy five and sunny here. But um, it's still called the frozen five k because typically in January it is kind of cold. Uh, last week it was snowing. I mean, not it's southern snow, right? But it was still snow. Right. Yesterday, seven days after it was snowing, I took my kids to the park and we sat outside in the sun because it was so beautiful and we actually had the air conditioner on in the car on the way home because we got worked up a sweat at the park the only reason i didn't turn on the air conditioner was i refused to run the ac in january (laughs) just just for a principle (laughs) thing huh but i really needed it though but i refused to i was like this is january i'm not turning on the air conditioner just roll the windows down you'll be all right that's what i did (laughs) Um, and I, after we went to the park, I took my kids to see the latest installment of Kung Fu Panda. And I will say this, if you liked the first two, you will like the third one. I did like Good. the first two and I do like the third one. I really enjoyed it immensely. Um, and, and all the charm, all the, the good hearted, uh, family, uh, friendly, you know, feel goodness of the first two. Uh, I don't think it was as charming as the second one. I really think the second one is the best of the bunch, but it was really good, worth seeing. So two enthusiastic thumbs up for a family movie that you can go see and, and actually, you know, see some real family values on display. Uh, plus, cool. you know, plus you get to see a panda get kicked in the nuts. I mean, who doesn't like that? <laughs> well, that should panda? make it all better then. <laughs> yeah, the panda doesn't like that. That's that's one of the running themes, though. Uh, I will say, um, uh, 
it's been several years. I, I can't. I if only there was some database of of movies, perhaps on the internet, some sort of internet movie database, if you will, where I could look this up. But I know it's been several years, five or six between two and three. And Dustin Hoffman forgot the voice of of Sifu in between there, and he was totally doing the Mister Megorian voice. Um, and it was it was noticeably different to me. I don't. Nobody else seemed to notice. I I asked my family about it, and they no, it's fine. He looks like a red panda. It must be the same. But the voice was completely different. He he was not doing the Sifu voice. He was doing the Mister Megorium voice. Um, huh? Because I, I guess he didn't go back and listen to his own work. I think about that. You know, I listen to lots of audiobooks, and uh, these guys uh, are doing six books over you know five years. Um, do they have to go back and listen to the voice that they did for this character? Because the really good ones, you know who it is before they say, because the character, the, the performer has a voice for that character. And as soon as they speak, you know which character it right. is before you get to the end of sentence and it says, Ponder said this. Um, uh, and the, I, I just wonder if they have to go back and listen to their own works. Do they make notes? Do they record sentences said as that character? How do they do that? I, that would be an interesting thing to find out. See, they cut the scene out where it talked about him having a cold and he just didn't <laughs> quite sound the same. And when they do the, the uh, extended version DVD special release, all will be clear. Um, yeah, it'll be clear. So, you know, all of that you got worked up because they cut a scene from the movie, Mark. That could be. There it is. Uh, most of the time when I go back and watch deleted scenes on DVDs, I know why they deleted them. Most of the right. time that's the case. True. Yeah. That's usually how that works. And then sometimes, like in the case of Johnny Mnemonic, as I understand it, that movie was supposed to be a dramatic um, a powerhouse of a movie. And in fact, uh, Dolph Lundgren was hoping it would launch his dramatic career and all but like 30 seconds of his performance is on the editing room floor and you ended up with a real mess of a movie. That is true. That movie was shredded, in my opinion. Decent movie, though, still. I still like going back and watching it. Um, I mean, yeah, but you know, when, when is that ice tea or ice cube? I can't remember which one that I is. I don't know. But Lipton when, when, when he's ice cube, when he is your, um, when he wins the role for best portrayal on screen on, in a particular film, you know, you're in some highbrow yeah. territory. Yeah. There. <laughs> uh, interestingly, I listened to a podcast recently, uh, the Nerdist podcast. Uh, they had Jason Alexander, uh, um, from Seinfeld. Right. Um, it's character yeah. George Costanza, um, who was also in uh, Pretty Woman. He was talking about Pretty Woman, and he said that uh, all the actors on the the stage um, uh, on the set thought they were making a gritty um, um, sort of film noir. That's what the script was. That's what that they thought they were doing. And then Gary Marshall, when he got into the editing editing room, made it the romantic comedy. That it was that none of the people when they went to the premiere and they saw it they were like is this the movie we made? Um, it was really it was fascinating that that the scene if you remember it where um, he's holding uh, Richard Gears holding a necklace out and she reaches for it and he closes the 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 thing on her uh, on her hand and she pulls away that was an outtake they didn't even think the camera was rolling um, and <laughs> and Gary Marshall kept it and put it in the scene in the movie so editing makes all the difference. Well, and that, that's a good thing. I mean, that you can see movies that have been well edited and then movies that have been butchered. Yeah, there was a movie and it had um, Kate Hudson and I think Owen Wilson and some other Matt 
met somebody and it was done as a comedy and they they did a trailer all the same footage and they cut it out and made a trailer and you and they portrayed it as a horror movie and it, it totally worked because they edited them out so yeah editing can save or butcher and it can make an average film great it can make a great film crap it can make a crappy film enjoyable yeah, from from what I hear uh, and from what I read, Empire Strikes Back was the great movie that it was because of editing. That uh, that was not what was shot. So good stuff. Um, I love I love that we get on tangents like this. Uh, there is somebody right now <laughs> yelling at the podcast player, saying, "What are you What are you doing here? Look, this we're we're up front, geek rant. We are geeks and we are ranting about movies. What What are you and expecting? Seriously, something about Linux? No." This is not the show for that. Um, well, but we can't every once in a while bring some Linux in. <laughs> sure, because we're oh, somebody's setting off fireworks. Nice. So if you hear an explosion, <laughs> it's uh, I'm not I'm not in any danger. Uh, my neighbors just had some left over from the from New Year's. Uh, so Seth, at this time last week, you were recording on a Windows Surface tablet, which did a yeoman's job, I might add. Not a Surface, just a oh, little just a tablet. tablet. Okay. But you yeah. are doing uh, you were doing back tonight on your regular hardware. Uh, that is correct because it was the hard drive, but I had to trick my computer by putting a different hard drive in, booting up SpinWrite, and then with the power on, swapping out the hard drives before having SpinWrite detect it so it could detect and repair this hard drive. So, you know, yay, I'm still smarter than the computer, but I had to think about it this time. So, I, you know, I don't know, maybe the singularity is still a little ways off, but it's getting closer. Were these SSDs or spinning disks? SSDs. Okay, because I didn't know oh. you could hot swap a spinning disk. Um, well, I guess if, well, if the enclosure supports it. Well, well, I mean, I basically had the back open when I did it, and it was before, you know, I hadn't launched the operating system. I had just turned the computer on. So, it you know, it wasn't like it was, I didn't have a Windows session running. It was just power to the device and spin right fixed it thank you steve gibson i was showing <laughs> off for somebody once uh my server room at my old job and uh, i was talking about how i had uh, uh raid six uh, uh hot swappable drives and i was like so the way the way this works and i went to a non mission critical because when you pop a drive out of a raid it still works but it degrades the performance considerably so i didn't want to do that on a, on a main one so i went to one of the servers and i pop the disc out i was going to say you see because this is raid and it's hot swappable i can pull this out and plug it back in and it won't cause any problems what i didn't know apparently was that one disc was already bad so when i oh. popped the, <laughs> the last good one out the whole thing came crashing down and i ended up rebuilding a server because i was showing off moral of that story don't show off right. second moral of that story pay attention to your logs because it had been telling me for months that there was a problem but i had never bothered to look at the logs yeah, well that's that's kind of the pro the point of logs that no one ever reads. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, Chris, you're using. Uh, we had we had talked a little before about you uh, putting some new hardware between you and the rest of the world. How's that going yep. for you? So, if, for those that didn't know, I was running PFSense uh, and ran PFSense for a long time, but I was looking at something. I needed something a little newer with the uh, more updated plugins. So I, I ran into OpenSUSE or OpenSense, not OpenSUSE, but OpenSense, uh, still based on the PFSense idea, but now it's on one of the branches. And I'm very impressed with it. Uh, I've actually seen more 
a higher uh, streamable now that I have in this newer version of of PFSense, in it, it the way it hands off things a lot f- better than the old PFSense box did, even with caching and everything turned on. So I'm impressed. We're able to do uh, what was it? We did twelve consist or consecutive streams of Hulu or Netflix without the network crashing out. For my wow. and for my area, that's pretty impressive for twelve HD scre- streaming sessions. Well, I didn't know you could even do that um, with that many. Se- How many Netflix sessions did you have? Uh, it wasn't all Netflix. Oh, okay. Uh, we had f- uh, all the Roku's running Netflix, all the phones running um, either Hulu or Netflix HD. Okay. So, were you trying to exceed your <laughs> bandwidth in an hour? I was. Or? I was actually. I was figuring if I'm going to pay for it, I might as well test it correctly and see what happens if all of us are being stupid at the same time. And so your next bill is going to be roughly $750? I hope not because, uh, well, no, because I did it at the, uh, at the end of a month when we were under that month. So we were, we were actually not going to have any overages until I did that. So you made sure that you would. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So but it was still pretty the- cool to say that I did 12 HD streams without any hardware, you know, fr- breaking itself or boiling itself off the wall. What are you running it um, on? What hardware? Uh, the PF Sense is running on a Pentium 4 with, uh, what is it? It's just a, a, a single core with hyper threading yeah. and four gigs of RAM. Considering most home and even small business devices run on 386s or even ARM processors, you had cycles to spare doing all that. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things that I always find funny when I talk to my friends that aren't in the tech world and they're all whining because they're they're they can't stream more than two devices at once and i go well look what you're running it through that's about the same speed as a calculator (laughs) right so uh when they come over here and see what i do they're like oh maybe i should build one yeah my problem in my particular house it it just the construction of the house more than the equipment is wi-fi um running wi-fi i get one tenth if i'm lucky the performance of wired uh, just because the house is is apparently built to honor Zool. <laughs> you didn't know that was an NSA safe house, and they built a Faraday cage around every every room. room. You? Yes, you walk yeah, in. I'll see, you walk into my kitchen with with four bars of of four G. Uh, as soon as you cross the threshold, you got nothing. Just gone. You walk. That's what it's like in my house. Yeah. If I walk if I walk down the stairs to go to my basement, you walk four steps, forget it, your calls drop. Well, basement that makes sense. You're underground. But uh, But it's four steps. <laughs> I mean, technically you're still above ground level when at, at four steps. Okay. Technically, but <laughs> but you're surrounded by lots of plumbing and concrete. Um <laughs> So Seth, now that you uh, have some some major money coming fr- to you from the the Hala Foundation, are you gonna gonna go out and buy another tablet? Well, you know, I mean, I already have five tablets, so uh, I was looking at that and I was like, I have way too much crap to go buy another crappy tablet. But no, um, yeah. So Hala, you know, we we reported on the story that they were gonna do something. You know, they were shipping out like something like 121 units to some of their early pre order people and they were going to be doing something special well it looks like that something special is 
a refund for the tablet. So I will be getting some money back, um, which will be cool. I can use it, you know, just to waste on other crap. But yeah, yeah but they so. seem to be doing it right. They're promising your purchase price plus shipping, plus all the money that you paid in, you're going to get back in over the next year. Yeah, maybe. So yeah, they're setting up to do that if, um, if, if they can, which, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I still, I wouldn't mind getting, if they could send me a rooted tablet with those specs, I, I would be happy, but you know, or give me my money back either one. I'm happy. So, yeah. or, I mean, they they proved they're no son of me go. If something like no money can kill them off. So they deserve <laughs> to die for not living up to the Mego uh, zombification. Yeah, that it's just it's a great uh, lesson for anybody who wants to go into, you know, microfinancing, Indiegogo, uh, um, Kickstarter, that kind of thing. Learn this story and learn it well, because this could be you. They they had good good ideas, but they didn't know how to manage the money that they had. And they, they go into details about it, but uh, not not de- great details, but some detail anyway. Yeah, and you did such a good job of transition. I should point out this link will be in our show notes <laughs> for people to go through and uh, read the entry from the Holla blog. Oh yeah, this that was the first news story of the week. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> the 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 sorry. It, the. I'm just looking at the headline of this one, this Ars, this news uh, Ars Technica. It's just never going to end. Um, you know, we we've talked oh. about um, uh, Cisco being in trouble, and then Fortinet being in trouble, and then I forgot who the other one was. Now, if you have a a, a, a smart TV device, it's a good chance that that's going to be hackable too. Yes. Yeah, so this is a company, um, AMX. They supply AV and building control equipment. To such customers has the United States Army, the White House, and other security conscious organization. Well, they shipped in there. There's a function, and this is the name of the function within their code base. Set up subtle or subtle user account. And then basically you can make this account godlike and it can pwn this device. And you think, well, it's only AV. It doesn't control internet, but it is connected to your either computer or your network and it can give you access. It can give someone access to that segment of the network. So, um, and again, this is one of the companies that did a stupid thing. They released an update saying, um, Hey, you know, we, we heard you. Here's an update. It fixes the problem. What they meant by fix was change the username and password of the function, not remove it. And then they do this customer, um, release. And they basically say, y'all are blowing this out of proportion. We're a good company. Still buy our stuff um, because we think you're too stupid to handle the truth. That's kind of my paraphrasing of what their representative had to say. Yeah. You can go to the Ars Technica article and see. But, yeah, so, you know, basically over just the last month, there's been uh, Cisco, Juniper, uh, Fortinet, Linux so for people who are going to roll their on. And now even non router things such as av unit controllers are in there so <sighs> yeah if you have if you have any connection to the internet you're pwned the fact is this all stems from the fact that geeks are lazy we are a lazy breed <laughs> of human and 
it's so much easier to just remote into a device and work on it than it is to actually contact a user and get them to share a session with you and do what do what you need to do. So all of these things that we've talked about are admin backdoors put in to make their lives easier. And they're lazy and they think, oh, that's fine. Um, as long as no one will guess that if, password. if the password is I'm Batman, surely nobody's ever going to type it into the to the console. So we're fine. Um, and it's just stop. It's it's the the dual edged sword of this personality type. Because we are lazy, we often find the best ways to do things. My uncle used to say to me that if you pointed out two men, one who was industrious and hardworking and one who was lazy, and asked and and said you need to pick one of these guys to solve a problem, he would take the lazy one every time. Because the lazy guy is going to figure out the fastest, easiest way to do it, where the industrious guy is just going to throw hard work at it. Um, and if you're a business owner and you're trying to solve a problem quickly and cheaply, throwing hard work at it isn't the solution. So right. uh, I, I, I've taken that all these years later as, as an I of uh, there's both there's value in hard work, but laziness also has uh, great power. But with great power, as Stan Lee says, comes great responsibility. Well, see, there, there's working harder physically and there's working smarter mentally. The problem is you have an entrepreneurial type, you know, overachieving type A start a company guy who's going, going, going. You know, he goes to bed at 4 a.m. and wakes up at 2 a.m. the night before and is on caffeine and, you know, guava juice and whatever. And then he hires a technician who is working at his computer but it's in the same spot four hours later, that guy's going to fire him because he's not doing anything when, um, anyway, but, and the thing about this, it's part of what you said, but it's also management saying, Hey, can we do this? And somebody says, yes. And then somebody else says, but that's a security issue. And the management says, I don't think I heard you because we would fire anyone who rocks the boat two days before product launch. So, you know, Unfortunately, there's lots of levels of incompetence in a situation like this from the lazy programmer to the over, um, overactive manager to the, you know, bean counter who doesn't know anything about technology. Nobody, the people who know can't rock the boat and keep their job. And that's part of it as well. So you have all of these things throwing out. Is this possible? Let's do it. And we'll worry about the implications later. We did it. It's too late to worry about the implications. Which ties in nicely to the topic of our discussion uh, tonight. The the It's kicking off what Seth has dubbed Financial February. Uh, we're going to be talking about... Uh, finances and money and and not just um you know investment that sort of thing but buying stuff uh trading uh something of value for something else of value in the modern age and so we're going to kick that off tonight with you know seth let us great uh, right into it we're in a world where we're trying to electronicize everything and you know banks are jumping into this and banks are often making poor choices about their security because they're just trying to see can we do it can we make it happen um and security takes a back seat but but users are even more uh, vulnerable to that uh you oh, know yeah. uh, if if your bank password is the same as any other password stop recording right now and go change well actually all of them uh but certainly the bank one um so we're going to talk about uh, just just basic overview, uh, how to be, how we do finances in the future. 
That's the title of the show. It's the future. You shouldn't be balancing a checkbook on, you know, on paper in the in the little ledger on the back of your your checkbook. That's what I think anyway. Uh, these two guys may both do that, but I think if you're doing that, you're you're not you're not living in the future. You're living in the fifties or lower. Well, I don't know. I have to disagree with you a little yeah, bit. I knew you would. On, but see, here's the thing. We've had this discussion before about the guy at McDonald's. Something costs a dollar seven, and you give them a dollar twelve, and they have to get their manager to make change because they don't know that twelve minus seven is five, and you get a nickel back. So whoa, I balance. You just did that on your in your head, like whoa. So <laughs> I balance my checkbook by hand, and then I check it with the calculator because. I don't want to lose the ability to do basic math type stuff. And so, and so you, I don't, I, I, I totally, I respect that, but I only write a check to the lawn guy because he doesn't take electronic payments. My total check writing in the course of a year is like nine. So oh, there's yeah. no point in me <laughs> no, balancing write, my checkbook. I write 12 checks, one tithe, one for the tithe every month. All the other entries in my ledger are things I do electronically. I, I do them electronically, but I also balance it by hand just to, you know, keep those synapses firing in my normal. No, th that's the justification you use, Seth. In fact, you're hoping to catch the bank in an error. That's the reason you're doing it. No, I want to know how much money I have because I don't want to. Well, you log on to your check. bank account and you see what the number is. That's how you know how much money you have. Well. Yeah, I don't know. I've never caught the bank in an hour in an error. I've caught myself in many an error. So, so, so th then you just made my point for me. Why do the math when you can look online and see your available balance? I want to know how to do the math. It's, <laughs> okay, this is a enough. discussion we had beforehand. I know how to fix <laughs> stuff in my house. I know how to turn off the power switch and take a, li a light fixture off the ceiling and hang another one. I know how to do that. I've done it before. I don't want to forget how to do something like that. So it's worth it for me to take the extra steps to do it by hand to make sure I can remember it. Fair enough. So let's talk about uh, <laughs> banking in in the, the modern era. So um, just a round robin. Uh, Chris, how do you bank? Uh, actually, me and the wife use a little bit. Actually, we're kind of a, a mixture of both you and Seth there for how we do things. Uh, we do electronic payments for just about everything we can, except for the stuff that she physically wants to hand somebody a check to because she's annoyed with them. <laughs> 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 or at least, and that's for me, especially uh, if I'm annoyed with you, I'm going to write you a check because I want to hand you something physically and have that look of now, don't you feel stupid? Instead of being able to swipe a card. Uh, for the same fact, though, we do a lot of cash transactions because we, for the places that we like, so they don't have to pay the credit card or debit fee for them to run the card. So it's kind of an interesting spin on both of you guys. Uh, but we both, uh, both me and the wife have a, a shared spreadsheet that we do all our budgeting on and, and checkbook writing for the simple fact that it's a whole lot easier to make a, change in a google sheet than it is to make a change on a piece of paper yeah well, uh 22 almost years ago now 1994 
uh, actually just over 21, uh, when my wife and I got married, even before that, before we were married, we opened a, uh, a joint account, um, and, and started spending our money together, even when we were, uh, um, just engaged. And we used to sit down, uh, once or uh, once a month, cause we both got paid once a month and we would sit down with a stack of bills and a checkbook, um, and a paper budget. Uh, and it, the process would take two hours on average, sometimes more, sometimes yep. less. Um, and you'd run the numbers and, uh, and then you, so we'd run the numbers all on the paper on the budget and then see if we could pay all the bills. Um, sad to say that's what it was. And some of those bills got shuffled over into the, how mad are, are they at us category? Um, yep. and what, what I discovered over time was that a lot of the, the way we were doing it was not just because, uh, you know, the, the fact that we were running out of money before we ran out of bills, uh, was, was part and parcel of the fact that we were doing everything on paper. It's too error prone. Um, and we weren't managing our money well. So I, I digitized the whole thing, uh, and created us an Excel spreadsheet, uh, because I do love me some spreadsheets. Um, and I had a macro every month you click new month and it would f create a new sheet, copy over all the static. Like, you know, we knew that our car payment was going to be the same every month. We knew that the electric bill would then be in a range every month. So it would just do all that math for us. And then we'd go through and, and do all that. And so we did that for a long time until electronic banking came along. And now we don't do any of it. Just over time, we have completely fallen away to, um, we know how much money is in the bank. We know how much our bills are. And I look online at any one moment and say, you know, this is how much money we have. This is how much we have outstanding against that because any good bank will show you, uh, bills coming out over the next time. I've got this much coming in. And so all of that happens as a snapshot on the online system at any one time. Um, and that works for us. Um, of course, it's very important there that you have enough money to cover all your bills to be able to make that happen. Oh, yes. Um, right. When, when people, you know, uh, around payday, when people are saying, you know, I, I really need payday to happen. I, I don't have any money that to me, that says you're not budgeting, budgeting properly because you should never do that. You, uh, particularly if you're on salary or even if you're not on salary, most people make pretty close to the same amount of money, uh, in every pay period, whether it's once a week or once a month. Um, and, and if you're, if you're getting to the end of your pay period and you're not, and you don't have enough money or you're not sure you're going to be a pay a bill, you're doing it wrong. Plain and simple. Well, the only thing that comes up then, though, um, that's one of the things that we, me and my wife, are striving for is to be able to look at the paydays and go, yeah, we have extra money left over, and we're getting closer. But we're all, my family is also still digging out from our long strudge through. Uh, but what's interesting, though, is when you see sites like, uh, I don't know if you got, we're jumping down a little bit in the list, but I just put a, uh, one in there. Have you guys ever heard of anything called Acorns? I have the not. The app or application that what it does is it, it when you put in, say you went to the coffee shop and swipe for a dollar twenty five, it'll round it up to the two dollar and invest that seventy five cents automatically. So you tie you're paying with their credit card. I'm not sure if it, you're paying with their credit card or if it's something that they're doing automatically in the background because you're, t you've tied that card to their account so they can see the transactions. Um, but I thought it was an interesting concept and it's something I've always tried to do. But since, you know, before now it was almost impossible to do because, you know, if you leave, if you round up your checkbook, 
you just realize, oh, I still have a little bit of extra money left over and it's not being invested. I always thought that that would be a really great idea. And it looks like that company has figured out a way to do it. And I've yet to sign up for it because the wife doesn't want to do it. But it's an interesting idea. Does it work with uh, credit cards or just debit cards? You know, I honestly haven't put enough time into it to tell you for sure. It's just a really interesting, when I, I first saw the advertisement for it, I was like, well, that sounds like something I was talking about years ago. And then I went and kind of just casually looked over the app a little bit and went, oh, that's kind of cool. So it, and it gives you a nice little dashboard of the money that's it, that you've put in and how it's being, if it's investing correctly or it's an interesting thing to look at. And they charge if, they charge one dollar a month or point two five percent per year, whichever is greater. Um, right. So very a, a reasonable. I mean, they 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 need their vig, makes sense. Uh, but if you're a student uh, or under twenty four, no cost. Neat idea. Yeah, very neat idea. Something I've always thought that would be an awesome idea for people that are you know. You know, they're, they're secure enough financially that it doesn't seem that they wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt them for being out that, that change. Um, it's the change jar, right? If you, yeah. if you deal with cash at the end of the day, you bring your change in and you put it in a jar. At the end of the year, you take the jar, you take it to the bank and you've got a couple hundred extra dollars. Well, they're doing that change jar model, but they're investing it for you. Micro investments, literally pennies a day of investments. I think it's, I think it's a good idea. I'm going to have to do some research on the company. This is the first I've ever heard of it, but I really like the idea. Yeah, it, in, a, it, it invests in ETFs, so those are low-cost um, things for you, and it, it, you can also add lump sum. So if you want to like start off with, if you could do a thousand dollars or a hundred, and then have your change go to it, I most uh, I'm I'm on their website now as y'all are talking, but I've, there's lots of things that will do this like. Your a lot of your banks will do this with your debit card. They'll round up and put it in a savings account for you. But if this is something that I could round up my credit card purchases, I would totally be all over that because one of the ways I game the system is I put everything I can on my credit card and I leave that money in my checking account, which earns interest, but not as much as it used to because nothing pays interest today, basically. Oh, gosh. Um, I keep expecting to get a bill from my bank. You know, actually, <laughs> the Bank of Japan charges you now. They did this last week. They charge you 0.1% on money you put with them. So you do better to put your money out in the business making money. But yeah, and then so I pay off that account every month and I get my 1% cash back on that. Uh, you know, so I would love to be able to round up my credit card purchases. That'd I'm not awesome. sure if it's legal to invest with with credit funds, though. Um that in that way like credit card fund. i know there's a leveraged investment where people borrow money to invest but i'm not sure you can do it with a credit card i'd have to find out i it would not I, be again. illegal but it might be against the policy of places because if i wanted to use a cash advance on my credit card and get say i wanted to do ten thousand dollars and then i get this check for ten thousand dollars i can take that to an investment place and say i want to invest ten thousand dollars they don't ask did you do a cash advance to get right? This? That's so, a leveraged investment, and that's legal right. because you're the intermediary making the choice. Right. I don't think that they can pull money straight from a credit card company, but I'm nowhere near an expert. Yeah, it's just an interesting site. I ran across it, you know, a couple of, about a month ago. I, since we're talking about internet banking yeah, this absolutely. month, I thought it was a great 
a great thing, along with the other link I put in there. Have you guys ever done personal capital? I've heard of it, but no. Uh, personal capital is kind of a neat little thing. Um, I actually use it. I love it. Um, I'm trying to get the wife to use it a little bit more so she can keep track of things. But when you log into the site, you can actually watch like my, I just purchased my house. So I have my mortgage logged into this. And then I have, um, one of the sites that does your, um, the, the digital evaluation of your house to tell you how much it's worth. So I can tell, okay, my mortgage is this much, but the house value is this much, you know, it, and it keeps track of that for me. It's kind of a neat little tool. If you're not using it, considering it's free, you should. And this is the point where I will say that if you're worried about these companies having your financial information, it's it's 2016. It's time to get over that. It, it yeah. just is. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, the fact is this information is already online anyway. It's not like there's a big paper file sitting in somebody's office saying we can't put this anywhere online until this person signs up. No, banks, your bank already has this information on the internet i mean granted it's a private secure cloud and we know how awesome security is from the last few weeks um but you know or you have a credit card so all of this information is already out there anyway i mean granted you're putting it in another place and so it is technically more vulnerable now but unfortunately it you're already at risk whether you sign up or not because your information is already out there uh, and, and, and Chris, you were talking about, uh, just, I'm shifting gears a little bit. Um, you were talking about your, you know, digging out of the debt hole and, and it, and I, I was talking about getting to the end of the month before you get to into your money, before you get to the end of your month. Um, what, what I did early on, and I'm not saying this is good advice. I'm saying it's what worked for my family was since we were already in debt and it's, it's similar to what, uh, people like Dave Ramsey recommend since you're already in debt anyway, stop making big payments to um, a credit card company, make minimum payments and take what you would make and pay yourself first. Build a a a, a baby savings account of, you know, at least so that at the end of the month, you've got $1,000 left over. And if you have to pay minimum amounts and accrue the interest to do that, it's worthwhile. Because uh, if you don't, you always end up out of money before you uh, end up out of month and you you end up borrowing more money. So, Put put everything on hold for as long as it takes to build up your em- emergency fund, is what Dave Ramsey calls it. Uh, I, I just called it, you know, uh, cash in the bank. And and my me, I wanted a, a a full month in the bank so that I could not have any income for a month and still be able to make my payments. Now my payments being minimum credit card payments, right? Um, so in for that amount of time that it took, we were building, we're increasing our debt. And, and I think it's important that you have to recognize, just like when you're remodeling a house, before you can make it beautiful, you have to make a mess. Um, and so for a short time, we increased our debt so that we could also increase our liquid capital. And most people don't have liquid capital, and that's what you run into. And so you're scrimping and you're saving and, and you're you're putting everything you got. You're sending $300 to this credit card when uh, to try to get it paid off. And then you you run over a, a, a tire iron in the road and you need a new set of tires, and that's $400, and now you're negative. Um, and so you have to be able to, to ride through these bumps. And, uh, so that's the way we did it. And we built up that, that cash, uh, capital, uh, and then it allowed us to really attack the debt. Like all Americans, we got in debt early 
uh, because we were stupid. Um, and then <laughs> we, we got out of debt and it was the, the most amazing thing after we finally were out of debt when I had a paycheck that was all mine. It didn't already belong to other people. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Uh, and it took a long time to get there. It's, you gotta be, yeah. you gotta be willing to do it. But anyway, that's a little advice there. That's, that's not digital, right? Uh, we're not talking about the modern thing, but I, I think there are people listening to this podcast that are all over the spectrum. And there, there's some kids out there who are just starting out. Um, first, avoid debt at all cost because it's never worth it. It's never worth it. You, you go out, you take your woman out for your special, uh, anniversary dinner and you slap it on that credit card. 10 years later, you're still paying for that steak. It's not worth it. Yep. Avoid credit cards if you can, but if you are going to use them, make sure you're using smart credit cards. You know, you're being smarter about it. Uh, for, for me, uh, we've just now started getting out of the hole. Um, you know, we actually were repairing credit for a couple of years, but uh, we did it a little bit different, Mark. What we ended up doing is we did minimum payments to all of the bills, but mass payments then on a single bill to kill right. it. Which is exactly know? the right thing to do after you have your emergency fund. Right. See, we we avoided the emergency fund because we were trying to get our credit cleaned up as fast as we could because we were trying to then capitalize on a buyer's market for a house before it switched. Um, granted, we mistimed it and ended up not hitting that, 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 uh, vert, the, I can't think of the word, the, the pinnacle point of purchasing time, uh, by about two months, but that's okay. Um, we ended up getting things where we needed to be in order to do what we wanted it to do. Um, and me and the wife always have a six month plan a one-year plan, and an 18-month plan. So that way we have things to, you know, we're planning for bad things to happen before they happen. Uh, it, it's similar to your emergency fund, Mark, but it, it, on the same note, it's not. We don't have surplus in the bank. We have exactly what we know we need to have in the bank for this time period. Um, so when we go to do our vacations, we know it has to, we have to have 15,000 in the bank in order to do a vacation. So we have steps in place that we have that money in a, in a nest egg that's occurring. Um, and for those that are looking for a good bank to good with a good insurance or interest rate for savings, um, Ally is at 1%. So they're great for short term investments or long term investments, at least so far that I've found. Um, so we use that savings account because it doesn't penalize us for putting money into it, but it does penalize if you pull money out of it more than four times in a month. So that's an incentive then to not pull money out until you need it. So just some of my thoughts on what we did. Uh, that's the, There's a couple other websites that I forgot to put in the list for checking in interest rates. Um, have you have you guys run across any of them for seeing how your bank or a bank that you're pro, pro, you know prospecting to move to has rates? I, I think that um, the current economic crisis makes or climate not crisis makes that a moot point because you're you're looking between point zero two percent and point zero four percent when banks actually start charging or paying interest. I'll start looking at things like that. Uh, oh. Seth, what was your what were your thoughts earlier? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, one, I have an 
an online only savings account from Discover and I get the 0.95 because my brick and mortar bank that I use for day to day stuff, it pays that crappy percent. But you know, I kind of did a, um, a little bit different than you, Mark, when it came to an emergency fund. I did the, you know, I, I made the minimum on all my bills. And of course I would round up to even numbers just to help keep the math, um, paid a bunch extra on one has I slowly built up my savings. So I, um, I kind of took a modified attract because the important thing is the internet and that computer or that tablet or that smartphone isn't going to automatically make your bills go away. It's not going to automatically make you smarter. It gives you a set of tools that if you have a plan and you attack them with the tools you have, they can make your uh, plan come to pass a lot easier. So what I did was, like I say, I kind of did the debt snowball while I was building my emergency fund. I call it my old crap fund because, you know, it's like, oh crap, I got to buy a tire. Oh crap, I, my car broke down. You know, oh crap, I ripped the seat on my last two pair of pants. So, you know, versus getting back into debt, you just take some out of your emergency fund. But I slowly built that as I paid down and I'm still paying down my debt and I'm still increasing my savings. So that it's, you know, there's, there, there's not necessarily a right way and a wrong way. There is a way that does it fastest and there's a way that will pay the least amount in interest, but there's also the way that lets you sleep at night and you have to do the way that lets you sleep at night. And because in addition to a financial cost, there's a peace of mind cost in whatever plan you're going to do with. And you can't think that, oh, it's online now. It's magic. No, you still have to have a plan and you still have to follow through just these tools make it easier to do that. Right. And which is why, you know, when the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room is always mint.com because they kind of were the biggest one, the biggest and most flamboyant about helping you manage your personal financing. Uh, mint does a great job as long as all of your accounts will talk to mint. Uh, that was a problem we ran into. I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that happen where you have accounts that some of these softwares, some of these tools won't talk to. Uh, that's highly frustrating when you're trying to find tools to help you budget. Um, that just drives me crazy. You know, it's 2016. Why, why do we still have tools that can't talk? Why do banks or accounts not talk in a, you know, current manner? That's just ridiculous. Well, and, and certainly infrastructure. Yeah, certainly, if you're yep. in a rural environment, as you are, uh, Chris, as you are, Seth, as I was most of my life, uh, the the mom and pop brick and mortar shops do not have the the capital investment nor the interest in in modernizing. You know, uh, when they're when ninety percent of their customers are farmers who make one or two uh, deposits a year, it it doesn't pay a lot. But one of the things that living in the future gives you is all these great tools that we've been talking about, and 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 from some a simple spreadsheet, right? Uh, which <clears throat> the odds are your computer came with one, but if it doesn't, didn't go get a Google account and and use Google Sheets. It's not as full featured, but it's fine. Or LibreOffice, right? You know. uh, it it will let you. Um, identify trends 
uh, and you know mm-hmm. a, a pivot table or you know uh, most if you have a, a bank with uh, online bank if you don't just do it it really is worth the effort get over the fear factor stranger danger was from the 90s uh, move on but um, having a, a decent online bank um, they will be able to show you a graph and show you by percentage you spent this much on these categories uh, and the categories are simple you know if you spent money at a restaurant that's dining out right if you spent money on uh, at a gas station that's fuel. Um, and you know, they don't know that you bought a Clark bar at the gas station. They're making educated guesses. Um, but the, uh, it'll show you at a glance, whoa, 40% of my income is going to this, to, to eating out. And as ridiculous as that may sound, I would be, wouldn't be surprised to find out that people are, are at that number at 40%. They're spending as much on eating out as they are on, on housing. Um, so, uh, it can, it, it can reveal patterns that you didn't, didn't know were there. And I think that's, you know, I, I, Chris and Seth have both alluded to it. The most important thing is having a plan, knowing where you are, knowing your current state. And we live in a time right now where it's never been easier to know your current state at, at in the moment. Mm-hmm. And you have to, um, if you're not, you're being reactive. And if anyone knows, Reactive people or reactive problem. When you react to something, you always overreact. There is no such thing as people that react correctly because it's never a correctly reaction. It's always a knee jerk. You know, I always bring up the idea, you know, oh my God, my kid was looking at porn. So we got to block all the porn. That's an overreaction to a small problem that could just be something that, hey, let's talk about it. You know, it's a parenting moment or, that that was a really bad place to go with that one. Um, <laughs> it really was. <laughs> but you, I mean, you—that's you, the idea. I mean, you, instead of reacting to things, you need to be proactive, and it's hard. Being proactive is painful, um, but in it's uh, it's short-term pain with long-time happiness. So, and Chris, you've mentioned uh, a couple of times now um, your your credit, getting your credit up, your credit worthiness. I'm not a big believer in the credit score, but unfortunately, anybody you want to borrow money from is. Um, yep. And one of the reasons that I'm not, I don't care much about the credit score is I don't borrow money if I can avoid it. Um, you know, I'm going to buy a house at some point when I ever sell the the one that I'm trying to get rid of in Texas. Uh, so at that point, my credit is going to matter. When I went to rent, went to rent this house, my credit uh, mattered uh, because you know the the really a credit score score is how well you maintain your debt are you going to pay back what you borrowed Um, it doesn't say anything about you as a person about your quality of your character it just says that does this person pay back what he owes uh, and there's lots of great sites, creditkarma.com. Seth has mentioned it before. Uh, I use it. Um, it's, it's set up by the credit card companies and, and you go there and, and they run your credit card and you, uh, credit score and you can know in a moment, you know, uh, anywhere between 300 and 850, right. Is, is the, the limit limit. And if you're at, uh, you know, 700 or above, you're pretty good. If you're in the 800, uh, category, you're golden. You could pretty much get whatever you want. Um, right. And, that that just means that on paper you're a person who who takes care of business and that's that's what people want so if they're going to sell you a house if they're going to go into a contractual uh, agreement with you for 30 years they want to make sure that you're a person that has a history of taking care of business so if you don't know what your credit score is it's it's probably a good idea to check that out and and a site like credit karma uh will do that at no cost and at no risk 
Um, so and I let's back up for a second because okay. there's a misconception that you have one credit score that's and true. that's the only credit yep. score you have. Every credit monitoring service has their own score, and then there's also something called FICO um, that the Fair Isaac Corporation does. And but even then, there's no one FICO score. There's a list of criteria, and depending on who you're approaching. They look at certain things more than others. So if you're going to a, buy a car, they're going to look at different credit metrics than if you're going to buy a house or if you're going to open up a credit card. So you don't, you know, you can go to Credit Karma and let's say, for example, your Credit Karma score shows 750. But then you go to FICO and you sign up for their trial and it shows 770. You say, well, they're not the same. Well, of course, because they're measuring different things. But the things that it takes to raise one of your scores will also raise the other score. Um, and, you know, ha not having a ton of debt, like if you have the ability to have $10,000 in debt and you're using 9,900 of it, that shows you're a very bad risk of almost defaulting. Whereas if you have the ability to have a hundred thousand and you're only using 9,900, well, they're show, Hey, he has great credit because he doesn't need to access what he has. So, you know, and credit card credit score is a big deal because you could have a job making $50,000 a year. And this person next to you could have a job making $50,000 a year, but because their score is 825, they got a 0% interest rate because your credit score is 600. You paid a 6% interest rate. So because your credit score is lower, it's costing you money because people don't want to risk lending to you. So uh, using a site like Credit Karma and you can go there and research and they do a much better job of explaining than what we can do on the show of what it takes to influence the credit scores and what factors are more important. You can see those and unless you get a windfall of money, you're not going to raise your credit score 400 points in one day, you know, but you can five months this month, 10 points that month. And then the next thing you know, over the course of a year or two, you've moved up several levels of credit. So anyway, I, I just wanted to kind of give a brief overview of that. About 20 years ago, um, yeah, right around that, my my wife's mother died and left us a small amount of money, not not a lot. Um, and we took that money and we paid off some outstanding debts. Uh, and it actually lowered our credit rating because what that said was um, we got into trouble and when we had a lump sum of money, we paid it off and it, it indicates that you didn't have a plan. It actually would have been better to have made that the best way to have a good credit rating is pay your bills. Uh, don't, yep. don't fall for these people who say we'll fix your credit by, you know, uh, jacking up, uh, taking out loans so that you can build your credit. That, that is, that may have been true actually when I was a kid. Uh, you know, uh, you got to go to a bank and you got to open an account and you got to have something just to get on the, on the books, right? When I was 16, I opened two accounts at two banks. I took a loan, um, from one bank and opened a savings account at another and put the loan in that and paid the savings, uh, the loan back from the the savings account uh, and the interest rates were such that I lost a little bit of money, but it established my credit. It, it showed me as a person. I don't know that you really need to do that anymore. That was back in a day when not everybody reported everywhere. But the, the 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 thing you need to do to fix your credit or to build your credit or to establish your credit is pay your bills. Just pay your bills. 
That's all it takes. Don't if somebody calls you and says we have a way to fix your credit. If the if the what they're saying is anything other than pay your bills, they're they're a scam artist. Yeah, pretty much. Well, we we kind of went way far afield of what we were what the the notes say to talk about, but I'm I'm <laughs> I'm down with that. That's good. Um, um so. I, I, I'm looking for the next thing. Uh, I we I feel that we need to end this, but there's something that that we didn't say. What take take control of your your finances and and take advantage of the modern tools. If you're still doing things on paper, that's not the best way to do it. It just isn't. We live in a world where there are better things to do it. I, the, for example, um, if if somebody uh, Chris gets mad at you and hands you a check. Um, because he's, he's, he wants you to, to go through the difficulty of that. Um, if you don't have a good online bank, uh, a national online bank, most likely, um, you're going to have to work in a trip to the bank at some point to deposit that, um, mm-hmm. you could, you could fill out a deposit slip and drop it in the, in the night box. But at some point you're going to have to go to the bank. If you're living the Lita, the, the Vita modern, like I am, you pull out your phone, you snap a picture of that and it's deposited and you throw the check in the trash. So it, that, that, for example, is it cost it costs me nothing. It's already part of my banking, um, and it overrides Chris's uh, attempt at uh, snookering me because I can just take a picture of it and say, nay, nay. It does. But well, it- you still had to take the steps to take that picture. <laughs> it wasn't an electric transaction. It wasn't a, a fully electric transaction. And this is something I realized not too long ago. Whenever you, you know, people who think, well, it's on the internet and there's hackers out there and you hear about all these data breaches, but think about this for a second. When you write a check and hand it to somebody, you provided them your bank's name, your account number, and your signature. Your address, your phone number, phone your, driver's your driver's license, license number. So which is yep. more secure, you know, a hashed transaction on the internet or providing somebody every bit of information they need to know to impersonate you. So, you know, that's just a, you know, tinfoil hat is good and everybody should have at least a tinfoil visor, but sometimes you need to, you know, actually raise your head out of the sand and look around and see what is. Okay, I'm going to draw the conversation to a close, give you guys one chance to have one final thought. Uh, Chris, go. Final thought. Final thought. Have a plan. Make sure you follow said plan. And Seth? <laughs> well, you know, one of the ways you can game, well, no, nah, we'll t- this is a whole new conversation. So we'll uh, save that for another day. But no, plans are good. You should have them. I would say, you know, you don't want to run your household on a paper budget, but taking the time to set up a paper budget will really teach you what these tools can do for you. I'm not saying, you know, run a checkbook register. I'm not saying pull out, you know, the two line entry journaling and all that kind of stuff, but you need to know and you need to know about your money because if you don't care about your money, nobody else is going to care either. Amen. Um, there you go. Just a quick story that will encapsulate my final thoughts on modern life. Um, so uh, three and a half years ago, I moved to Atlanta. Uh, my wife was still back in Texas. I had to find a house, rent a house, get a lease, do all that sort of stuff. That that requires paperwork to be signed. Um, there are still things that require a a uh, ink on on paper signature. And often renting a house, doing a, a lease agreement is one of those things. 
that wasn't going to work for me. Uh, my wife didn't have ready access to a fax machine. Who does anymore? Um, so I had the uh, mortgage company send me the the contract in a PDF format. Not unusual. Anybody will do that. I had my wife sign the back of an envelope, snap a picture of it, and text it to me. <laughs> I then signed the back of an envelope, snapped a picture of it, and and uploaded it to my computer. I then um, opened the PDF in GIMP. Uh, which will allow you to edit uh, uh, PDFs. I dropped in her signature, and because people get cranky about it, uh, if it's in black ink, I colored it, color corrected it to blue, because blue ink on contracts is is what's considered uh, proper. I then mixed it, uh, the the uh, the thing, sized it right so it fit on the line. I cut out the B and the C uh, for the spots where they needed initials, and I put those on the blanks. And then I did the same thing for me, and I emailed that back. And I did all of this um, actually uh, while tethered to my phone out of place because I didn't have internet access. And so that's that's living the Vita modern when you can do that sort of stuff. There are always ways around, but you have to embrace the technology. There you go. That's the only way. Cool. <laughs> that's a good and that's a good where you know workaround. That's a pretty impressive, Mark. That's some that's some good thinking there. And now, in fact, uh, my the the management company has has stepped up the last couple of years when we've renewed the leases. They've used a service that allows you to e-sign. Um, and so they send me a, a special formatted PDF that I can e-sign and send it back. And the e-sign is literally just a, a handwriting script writing my name on it. It looks nothing like me, but it's got my time and date where I did that. So the, the tools are out there. Everybody's recognizing that the days of, of writing, putting pen on paper. If I ever have to put a pen on a piece of paper, I have failed. My goal in life is to never write anything down ever again. Now, very occasionally, I will use a post-it note, uh, usually when I'm trying to transfer information to someone else. In fact, three years ago, when I got my new job, the you know it's just sort of standard issue. Here's your here's your staple. Here's your thing. Here's a uh, a stack of post-it notes. Of the stack of post-it notes, um, I have used the same pad of post-it notes since I moved there. I'm still on the first one. In three and a half years of working there, uh, I have not done, what, 50 or so notes ever in that amount of time. And so as a joke now, because uh, when we go to meetings and they try to hand me a paper agenda, I, I hold up my phone. No, I've got to. It was emailed. I've got that. Um, so I, I don't do paper. As a joke now, every Christmas or birthday, the whole team gives me post-it notes. So I now have like a 17-year supply of post-it <laughs> notes in my office. That's funny. You know, awesome. and I, that's actually something that's a good sign that you're you're doing things more efficiently, in my opinion, because, you know, we just started in my current job, we just started using um, OneNote and I never knew OneNote existed or what it was actually used for because I've never used it before until just recently. And man, that is like brand new butter for me. I love that app. Yeah, I, I like Google Keep because it's OneNote everywhere. It's on right. the web. It's on my phone. It's everywhere. Which is why I use it personally, but I can't use that for company stuff because they yeah. say no. Yeah, my company has not yet blocked keep.google.com. They probably will as the day after this comes out. Um, I can't get to Google Docs, but for the moment, I can get to that website. Yeah, I can't um, get to anything. <laughs> I was a big Evernote user, and it crushed me when I went to work there and found that Evernote was blocked. I was like, what? How, what? How, how can you do this to me? It was like they had just amputated my left arm. Um, 
but I'm, I managed to soldier on. All right, we'll, let's do we'll a, keep. a couple of news stories um, uh, just because we can. Uh, Steam is pretty much the only game in town on Linux, but at least they're growing. That's right. Yes, they are up to between 1,800 and 1,900 games that they offer on Linux and not just fire off wine and get your game in, but actual Linux support for the games. So they're growing, um, you know, and since their steam OS is Linux, it's kind of a good thing that they're increasing their number. So they're not quite in, and it, it, anyway, there's a thing. If you sort by some ways, it shows 1800. If you sort by some, it's 1900. So it looks like they're in the process of releasing more and more. So Linux is not dead for gaming, at least um, not if you ask Steam. No, and actually the Steam client in Linux, in my opinion, works a lot better than the Windows client does when it comes to uh, stay, either staying or being, because they have things that they run in the background while you're playing your game called the Steam layer. Um, a lot of times I end up with, in Windows, when I was playing games in Windows, it would pop up when I didn't want it to. Uh, because the key bindings couldn't be changed. Well, in Linux, you can change the key bindings. So it's kind of a nice little thing that you can tinker with. So I don't know, I'm really, I really love my Linux box when I go to gaming and it's impressive to see more and more AAA titles natively being released for Linux through Steam. And uh, if you uh, if you want more Linux gaming stuff and you don't mind swearing that would make a sailor blush, uh, visit our friends over at linuxgamecast.com. Uh, they cover this stuff every week in, in great detail. Um, and in, in a place that just really doesn't belong anywhere, uh, Facebook and Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, want to uh, block you from selling a gun to another Facebook user via facebook mm -hmm. unless they're a gun dealer so but yeah i guess you know i mean you can't cry free speech freedom of speech blah 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 because this is a this is a company choosing how they want to do business i don't have a problem with that aspect of it but at the same time you know it makes a very and this this kind of makes you think is the reason I think it's political because I disagree with the view, whereas before I didn't think they were political because I didn't care because they were doing what I didn't mind, even though I've never bought a gun on Facebook and I don't plan to buy a gun on Facebook or sell one. Um, I find myself thinking Facebook shouldn't be doing this. But at the same time, you know, I guess that means I don't love children and the terrorists will win or something like that. Well, it's it's Facebook moving more and more down the line of of censoring what you can do there. At, at first, they were very loose about that, and lately they've been uh, tightening the reins on what you can and can't do. So like for for example, they've had a long time uh, no boobs policy, right? Mm -hmm. If if you if you slip a nip into a picture, it's not going to make it. Um, and that that made the Leche League people all all mad because you couldn't show breastfeeding pictures, whatever. That that Facebook has had trouble uh, throughout the years about not allowing people to say whatever they want or show whatever they want. Um, and it's as Seth said, it's their right, it's their platform. They can do what they want. But this this is interesting to me because it it's not something that is public necessarily. So they're saying that they will interfere with with person-to-person -person private communications 
Um, well, no, they, it said they wouldn't scan the Facebook messages. So this is mainly post on like the, the for sale. Posting groups. a picture of a guy. Yeah, yeah, and saying, you know, like, yeah. for example, the county I live has a buy-sell club, and it's got several thousand members. I'm sure every county does now. But I couldn't go on there and say, you know, for sale, used howitzer, only fired once, $4,000 OBO. You know, um, they would block that now, unless I was a licensed howitzer dealer. And it doesn't bother me at all, yeah. but I do think it's interesting that that's, that's a stake they've decided to plant in the ground. Um, you know. They, well, they didn't seem to matter, uh, uh, you know, they, there's not an anti-bullying policy on Facebook, uh, but there is an anti-gun policy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting to see how that has all been played out. You know, uh, I was watching uh, a YouTube guy that was trying to go through the, the whole uh, gun show loophole to buy a gun without a background check. Uh, that doesn't exist, and it hasn't existed for a while. So it's interesting to see that that you know there's still people out there that think that you can just go out and buy a gun without a check anymore. Uh, it's it's next to impossible, except for the private person to person sale of a pistol or a handgun. So yeah. So uh, just because I wanted to make sure I was right about that, I went to the Facebook Health uh, uh, Center and typed in, "What do I do if I'm being bullied?" Their advice is unfriend the person, block the person, and report anything that is abusive that they post. So there is a there is a policy against uh, abusiveness, but you know, I I personally have never seen a post taken down because it was offensive. Uh, you know, I guess there's a difference between offensive and abusive, uh, but you know. That's just, there are things that they've decided to crack down on and things that they hadn't. And, you know, if you, if you don't do anything, you're 4chan. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and if you gotta, you gotta draw the line somewhere and you're gonna make somebody mad, uh, along the way. But I just, it, I, it's interesting, not, uh, you know, I don't say that in a, ooh, interesting. It, it truly does interest me that that's one of the ways they decided to go. Legal gun sales between private citizens is not okay with Facebook. Yeah. So that I mean that's their right as a site to control yeah. that. So it's yeah, interesting I, to see that they've started that now because that was that's a hot topic for the presidential debates. So interesting. Well, you, you know, something will and the sad part is it becomes almost a de facto law because you want to block something from public uh, for the quote unquote good of society. But people think, well, because Facebook blocked it, it must be illegal. Therefore, it shouldn't be done at all. Now, I'm not saying that has happened yet because obviously they're just starting this. But when you remove, it's hard because if you remove something for the, you know, for the good of the people, it's for the children. We don't want the terrorists to win. I know, you know, Jesus won't bless you if you don't repost what I'm saying uh, on your Twitter feed at least three times in the next seven days. But we have to be careful because we want to push these things out of the commonplace where people meet. And therefore, because they were pushed out, people will assume, oh, well, you nobody does that here. It must be illegal. So I think something like that could happen. You know, who knows? Maybe I'm just trying to, that's my good conspiracy theory for the week. Yeah. That, that's an interesting way of looking at it. The, the, the community standard becomes stronger than law. 
And yeah, for most you, people, face for not most, but for many people, Facebook is their primary community. Yeah, yeah. Because you can much. you can pretend like you interact with people and still be a private reclusive person. So not that uh, I have experience with that. So in our attempt to have a short show this week, we're now at uh, just under an hour and a half. So, so take us, uh, tell us what happened this week in history. Okay, I wanted to. Uh, this happened. February the 1st, 1991, Sun Microsystems starts Java technology. And um, these three people of Sun Microsystems start to develop Java technology. It grew out of a Sun project in embedded controllers called Star 7. Um, and they focused on graphic systems, programming language ideas, and business development. That happened this week in history in 1991. So Java's been around it, I mean, it doesn't pre-net internet connectivity, but it kind of really predates the web. Yeah, and as much maligned as Java is today, the web would not be where it is now had it not been for Java. Um, yep. Much like labor unions, it served its time, and now it needs to go away. Somebody's going to write me an email about that. I'm sure they will. <laughs> All right, so this is how I tell you how you can write me an email and tell me what a stupid thing that was I just said. Go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. That will uh, pop up a form there that you can fill out after answering the world's easiest CAPTCHA, uh, and that will send an email nicely formatted that gets priority in my inbox. Or you can send me an email to geekrant at elementop.com. That goes to all three of us, lest you think I am censoring your mail to the other guys. Or you can call 559-IMOP, leave a recorded voicemail there on our Google Voice account, and we'll play it on the air even if it's stupid probably more if it's stupid uh, uh we haven't actually had somebody just say something totally stupid but the odds are that would get played more often so that we could laugh at you yeah be great try be. it and see um <laughs> so as as i've said many times before we are uh you know listener created content in so many ways um this was an experiment for us this whole month here is an experiment we're going to try uh to do something uh new and different in in having these themes i don't know that we're going to do a theme every month but we're going to have theme months and this is our first one let us know what you think uh, of course we are not professionals do not invest based on our advice because you may lose all your money and we're not going to jail with you over it um, but you know, tell us what you think. Let us know if we're on the right track. If you think we should never do this again, that's fine too. We want to hear that. Uh, go. So elementop.com is your place to do that. The Zcast app now, now called Castback, uh, is in the, the play store. You can find a link to it on our, on our website or just search the, uh, play store for either Zcast or Castback. You'll find it either way. Um, I encourage you to use that. That is, uh, becoming the primary way, uh, that I would like people to interact with us right there uh, on the uh, show because what's what's cool about that is i can click the button and listen to what you were listening to so if you leave a non sequitur or something that i don't follow i can go back and hear the exact audio you were listening to when you said that it's great so check it out the Castback app lets you talk to us in real time ish uh so thanks for hanging out with us we appreciate you uh listening to the show we appreciate you telling other people about it do us a favor go give us a rating and review in whatever your favorite um podcast uh directory is uh and if you've already done that before just create a new account and uh, do it again that's fine um <laughs> whatever it takes to boost our numbers chris seth thank you for being the great host uh, best host i could afford on what i pay you which at this point is nothing um and listener thank you for being a great listener and we'll see you next time because that ends this episode of the geek rant <laughs> <laughs>